0: Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2015 Men's Advance. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Tonight, I want to start sharing something with you. I have no idea what Greg's going to share or what Happy's going to share, but you know, it seems like that the Holy Spirit always makes these things fit together just perfectly. And I believe that between the three of us, you're going to get sandwiched in the middle and you're going to be blessed. Amen. God's going to come at you. And I just want to let you know, you may not like what I'm going to talk about tonight, but if you will just hold on, you'll go to enjoying it more afterwards. Amen. I've often said this. It's like when you pet a cat the wrong way and their hair stands up. The way you solve that situation is you just turn the cat around and keep petting. And so if what I say rubs you the wrong way, just repent, turn around, and it'll go to feeling good. Amen. BUT I WANT TO SHARE WITH YOU ABOUT WHAT THE REAL PROBLEM IS WITH EVERY SINGLE ONE OF US. THIS IS SOMETHING THAT APPLIES TO EVERY PERSON. THERE IS NOBODY THAT I'M GOING TO MISS. I CAN GUARANTEE YOU, SOME OF YOU MAY THINK, OH, NO, THAT DOESN'T APPLY TO ME. YOU'RE THE VERY ONE THAT NEEDS THIS THE MOST. <laughs> AND THIS IS THE uh, ROOT PROBLEM OF EVERY SINGLE ONE OF US. NOW JUST THINK RIGHT NOW, WHAT, what IS YOUR ROOT PROBLEM? Let me first of all say what it isn't. It's not your wife that God gave you. (laughs) You know, that's what Adam said. You know, also I want to welcome all of you watching online. I forgot to mention that, but I think we had 360 something that were watching a few minutes ago. And so for all of you watching, this applies to you too. If you're breathing, this applies to you. But you know, Adam, when God said, what have you done? He says, it's that woman. THAT YOU GAVE ME. HE PASSED THE BUCK TO EVE, AND THEN HE TRIED TO ULTIMATELY BLAME GOD. AND PEOPLE DO THIS EXACT SAME THING. THEY COME UP AND SAY, GOD, IT'S THIS PROBLEM. PEOPLE TALK ABOUT IT'S THE COLOR OF THEIR SKIN THAT'S THEIR PROBLEM, THAT'S THE ROOT OF EVERYTHING. IT'S THEIR FINANCES OR LACK OF FINANCES. IT'S THEIR LACK OF EDUCATION. THEY JUST HAVEN'T HAD THIS OPPORTUNITY. SOMEBODY TREATED THEM WRONG. AND WE COME UP WITH ALL OF THESE THINGS. Our society today is basically a humanistic society, to where they don't look to eat, to God as the source of anything, the answer for anything. They don't look to spiritual problems as the root of stuff. They're trying to find a physical, organic reason for every problem. I've heard people talk about you know that it's your genes that make you fat, uh, that it's not your fault. Some of you are thinking, isn't that true? (laughs) You know, we all have different genes. I'm not saying that we're all, you know, that that isn't a factor, but I can guarantee you if you quit eating, you'll lose weight. It's just a guarantee. Amen. You know, you, any person in here could take whatever you eat and cut it in half. And I'm talking about desserts, candy bars, peanut M&Ms that you snack on. Just, do whatever you do and cut it in half and eat half as much as you eat. You don't have to go on a strict diet. You don't have to do anything. Eat half as much and you'll lose weight. It's guaranteed. Amen. I'm not going to preach on that, but I'm just saying that see, there's people that think I can't help it. I just look at food and gain weight. That's not true. I'm not responsible. You are responsible. Since you were a little kid, nobody has forced fed you. Everything you eat, you put in your mouth, you choose to do it, you are responsible. But see again, our society is is walking away from personal responsibility and saying you don't understand, it's my genes, the reason I can't do this and it's uh I've got a chemical imbalance and I've got this and they come up with a million and one excuses. You know, the Bible does not give us these outs. The Bible makes us responsible for our actions. It always kind of amuses me. It makes me mad too. People who, you know, get drunk or something and then they have a car wreck and they say, well, I wasn't responsible. I didn't, I was drunk. I couldn't control myself. You're the one who chose to get drunk. So therefore you are responsible for anything that comes as a result of that. Thank you for both of those amens. (laughs) I'm just barely getting started and I've already run into a lot of, RESISTANCE. BUT REALLY OUR SOCIETY TODAY IS JUST BLAMING EVERYBODY ELSE. THERE'S A WHOLE GROUP OF PEOPLE THAT BELIEVE THAT THE GOVERNMENT IS ALL YOUR PROBLEM. AND IF THE GOVERNMENT WOULD JUST GIVE ME MORE MONEY, IF THEY WOULD JUST DO THIS, IF THEY WOULD JUST DO THAT, AND THEY'RE LOOKING TO SOMEBODY ELSE AS THEIR SAVIOR. BUT YOU KNOW WHAT THAT IS? THAT'S NOT DEALING WITH THE ROOT OF THE PROBLEM. That's like taking a bush or something and cut it off at ground level. And you know, if you do that with many bushes, all you've done is just prune it and it'll grow back even better. It'll grow back fuller and stuff that you've got to go to the root of things. It's like, I heard a man, uh, liking it to like having spider webs and people are constantly dusting and trying to get rid of spider webs. The best way to get rid of spider webs is to find the spider and you get eliminate the spider and you won't have any more spider webs. And we're just dealing with the symptoms, these things. But I'm telling you that the root of all of our problems, uh, you could say this in different ways. It's our self, but I'm going to even be more specific. It's our pride and it's our self-focus. It's our love of self this is the inroad of everything Satan wants to do in your life. And I know that there's some people sitting right here in this room, people watching by live streaming, that are thinking, well, that's not my problem. But it really is your problem. It really is. You know, I'm all for blaming the devil for everything we can blame him for. I have no love for the devil but Satan can't do anything to you without your consent and cooperation. Satan is a defeated foe. He goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the only way that he can do things in your life is through your cooperation. And the number one thing that cooperates with him is your pride. And so again, you cannot really experience the fullness of God AS LONG AS YOU ARE FULL OF YOURSELF, YOU CAN'T MANIFEST THE GLORY OF GOD TO OTHER PEOPLE AS LONG AS YOU ARE FULL OF YOURSELF. THE SCRIPTURE SAYS, MY GLORY I WILL NOT SHARE WITH ANOTHER. AND THE MOMENT YOU START TAKING CREDIT FOR THINGS, THE MOMENT IT'S ALL ABOUT YOU, I GUARANTEE YOU GOD IS NOT GOING TO PROMOTE THAT. HE IS NOT GOING TO SHARE HIS GLORY. Uh, it's obnoxious to people. It hurts you. It's just an inroad of everything that Satan wants to do in your life. Let me start over here in Isaiah chapter 14 and let's look at some passages of scripture. The reason I want to read this, this is talking about Satan and how he fell. I'm not going to take time to verify all of this. It's talking about the, uh, king of Babylon, but it's actually talking about Satan, the power that was behind him. And it says down here in verse um, 12, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart. So this is talking about Lucifer. It's talking about Satan. It's given us insight into how he rebelled at God. And it says, how did this happen? And then in verse 13, it tells you what his problem was. It says, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble that did shake kingdoms? And it goes on and talks about it. But this reveals to us what Satan's problem was. It was pride. It was wanting to exalt himself. You know, if you combine this WITH uh, EZEKIEL CHAPTER 28, YOU'LL FIND OUT THAT SATAN OR LUCIFER WAS ACTUALLY THE WORSHIP LEADER IN HEAVEN. AND HE WAS THE ONE THAT WAS DIRECTING PRAISE TOWARDS GOD AND HE GOT JEALOUS OF GOD. SATAN DIDN'T HATE GOD IN THE SENSE THAT HE WAS AGAINST EVERYTHING THAT GOD WAS AND EVERYTHING HE STOOD FOR. HE WAS ENVIOUS OF GOD. HE WANTED THE GLORY. THAT WAS DIRECTED TOWARDS GOD. HE SAYS, I'M GOING TO BE LIKE THE MOST HIGH. I WILL EXALT MYSELF. SATAN'S SIN WASN'T uh, HATRED FOR GOD. IT WAS ENVY OF GOD AND WANTING THE GLORY AND ALL OF THE ATTENTION THAT WAS DIRECTED TOWARDS GOD. AND THAT'S, ACCORDING TO THESE VERSES, THAT IS WHAT CAUSED HIS TRANSGRESSION. AND THEN WHEN SATAN CAME AGAINST ADAM AND EVE, LOOK OVER HERE IN GENESIS CHAPTER 3, and look how Satan came against Adam and Eve and tempted them. And, and, in verse one, this is Genesis three, one. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Boy, there's a lot in these verses. I've probably got probably 40 or 50 hours worth of teaching on these things right here. So I'm not going to be able to say this all, but notice he came through a subtle animal. He didn't pick the biggest animal, the most vicious animal. He didn't try and intimidate Adam and Eve because he had no authority against them. He was there to serve them. He WAS THE ANOINTED CHERUB. HE WAS AN ANGELIC BEING. IN HEBREWS CHAPTER 1 VERSE 14 SAYS ALL OF THE ANGELS ARE MINISTERING SPIRITS SENT FORTH TO MINISTER FOR THOSE WHO SHALL BE HEIRS OF SALVATION. SATAN WASN'T THERE AS THIS VICIOUS EVIL THING. HE WAS A GODLY ANGEL SENT THERE TO SERVE THEM. HE HAD NO AUTHORITY OVER THEM OR AGAINST THEM. And so he couldn't come and force them, intimidate them. What he did, he came against them and began to trick them, deceive them. He chose the most subtle animal. The first thing he did was counter the word of God. If all you did was believe the word of God and let the word of God dominate you, you would never, ever, ever submit to sin. This goes right along with the scriptures I was using out of Proverbs chapter 3 during the offering, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. How do you trust in the Lord? Well, that's multiple things, but certainly His Word is His will, it's His revelation, it's His instruction. And so, the Word of God, you should never have an opinion of value. A goal, a direction for your life desires any of these things that contradict the Word of God. If the Word of God was the number one thing in our life, if it ruled and controlled us, Satan would have no access to you. And this is exactly why Satan came and challenged the Word of God. Has God really said... And so Eve repeat, repeated in verse two, and says, "The woman said unto the serpent, "We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, 'Ye shall not eat of it, and neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die." And the serpent said unto the woman, "You shall not surely die." He directly countered the word of God. He directly countered what God said, and then he went past that into slandering God, and basically saying here in verse uh, five, that it's because God doesn't really care for you. God doesn't want you to have everything. You can't depend upon God. You've got to depend upon yourself. You've got to trust in your own understanding. You are smarter than God. You can do this better than God. You know what that is? That's pride. That's exalting yourself. I'm going to spend some time on this tonight trying to define this, but when you say pride, most people think of arrogance. And they think of total, you know, a person who is just so egotistical that they, uh, you know, I heard this deal about how many people does it take to screw in a light bulb? And with a proud person, it's just one because you just stand there and hold it, and the whole world revolves around you. <laughs> And that's, that's what most people consider pride, but that's only one manifestation of pride. You know, the, the exact same spirit is a person with low self-esteem. Now I know some of you aren't making a connection right here, but let me explain this. I was ministering in Pueblo. This has been 30 years ago or something like this. And I was ministering on this exact same thing. And I ministered on it for over an hour. And at the end of the service, there was this little Mexican guy that came up to me. And he stood there and he says, he says, I appreciate your ministry. He says, God has used you to touch me, but he says, you are wrong on this one. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10, I'll probably be over there in a minute. It says only by pride comes contention. And I was making the point that the only reason you get mad is because of pride. And so he came up to me after this service And he says, I usually agree with you, but he says, I am a very angry person. He says, I've got a temper that gets me in trouble. I can't control myself. I lose my temper. And he says, and yet I am not a proudful person. He says, if anything, I've got such low self-esteem. I hate myself. I'm constantly feeling bad about myself. And he says, I've got all kinds of problems, but pride isn't one of them. And so he says that can't be right. That only by pride comes contention. But the problem is, see, people think pride is only arrogance. Arrogance is just one manifestation of pride. A very uh, insecure person, a timid person, a shy person is a super proud person. If you define pride, I believe that the way that the Bible defines it. Look at this passage of scripture over here in uh, Numbers chapter 12. Let me use this example. This is where Miriam and Aaron came out against Moses. Miriam and Aaron were Moses' uh, sister and brother. And it says in Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. So Moses was like Middle Eastern, uh, a Jewish Uh, olive complexion. An Ethiopian woman was a black woman. So it was an interracial marriage and his sister and brother got upset over this and thought that disqualified him. They challenged his leadership. And in verse two, it says, they said, hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses. Hath he not spoken also by us? And he heard it. You know what this is? This is a very proud statement. In other words, they weren't wanting to just submit to Moses. God is also spoken by us. They were exalting themselves, exalting their position. And I'm telling you that this is just like it says Proverbs 13:10, the only thing that causes strife is pride. They were proud, and because of it, they were looking at Moses they were critical of his actions and when they saw this interracial marriage immediately they thought that that disqualified him that they were more qualified you know i've had people come up to me and say you know you don't you aren't a very good minister and I've had people criticize me. The average person that talks to me, they have seen me on television for years and they just flip by my program because I'm just sitting there. I'm not screaming. I'm not yelling. And they thought you can't be anointed. <laughs> and I had one guy write me and say that he had insomnia and he, he wasn't even a Christian. And so what he would do to put him to sleep is turn it over <laughs> to my program. He says, you are the greatest invention for cure for insomnia that has ever been. And he would turn on my program and he said it would put him to sleep. But one night before he fell asleep, he got to listening and he got born again and got changed and, and is now part of our ministry and stuff. But you know, the, the average person just, you know, like, well, you aren't anointed. You, you're just so bland. And people have come to me and said, I'm more qualified. I'm I've got a lot better grasp of the English language. I'm a better communicator. I'm more dynamic. I got more charisma. I got everything. The only thing wrong with that logic is that God didn't anoint you to do what he anointed me to do. Amen. And see, people forget this. They go to thinking that I'm better qualified. How come this happened? Well, uh, God doesn't call qualified. He qualifies those that he calls says over in 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse 26, that God chose the weak things of the world, base things of the world, things that are despised, things that are not to bring to not things that are, you know, the reason many of us aren't being used is because you think you're so qualified. God said he's looking for base things, things that are despised. And there's a lot of people that just, if God was to use you, you would get the glory for it. Matter of fact, if it continues on there in 1 Corinthians chapter one, it says the reason he does this is that no flesh would glory in his presence. When you know, when God takes a hick from Texas that was an introvert and couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to them and stuttered and stumbled around and God uses them and puts them on national, international television and stuff. I guarantee you, God's got to be the one that gets the credit for it. It is not me, but see there's other people that have it so well organized that if God was to open up a ministry or something for you or give you your desire, you would think, oh God, I know why you chose me. I am so qualified. What a blessing I am to your kingdom. No wonder you chose me and you would take the glory for it. God isn't looking for people like that. It is your own self-confidence that is stopping God from using many of you. You know, in my classes here, I was teaching our students and I was telling them, I said, it's actually good for you to have a holy fear of standing in front of people. And most people see, think, no, I I ought to have no fear. I ought to be so confident in all of this, but there's people, you know, I've ministered long enough Any of these people that are here, any of these ministers that stood up, they can tell you that over time, there's people that are in their churches and stuff that are now dead. There are marriages that are broken up. There are people that are struggling. There are people that have walked away from the Lord. And it's a sober thing what we're doing this weekend. I don't know this by facts, but I'm just saying based on people, based on years of experience, there are people right here that if the Lord doesn't touch you this week, he brought you here and you may have thought you're just doing this to get away or for whatever reason, but God had a purpose and a design in bringing you here. And if the Lord doesn't penetrate your heart and get the word to you and do what he wants to do in your life, there's people sitting right in this room that will be dead within this short period of time. There will be marriages that will be destroyed. There will be people that will have crisis come in your life and God brought you here to try and prepare you and to build you up and be able to deal with it. And, And if you don't receive the word, you'll walk out of here and be unprepared and who knows what the results will be. What I'm saying is it's a serious thing when you stand in front of people and minister and try and impact them. And I think that it's good to have a holy fear. I'm not talking about a terror, an unbelief fear, but just a reverence and a godliness to where you say, oh God, who am I to be able to do this? God, I need you. That's where God wants you to be. God doesn't want you to be as, oh God, I can handle it from here. You just get me on the platform. You get me introduced and I guarantee you, I can take care of this. That's the very person that God's not using. Those of you that are feeling like I'm so qualified, how come God is using Andrew or Happy or Greg or any of these other ministers? And how come he's not using me because I'm so qualified? That's the very reason he's not using you. It's because you're leaning under your own understanding. You're trusting in yourself instead of in the Lord. And so anyway, here was Miriam and Aaron looking down on Moses, exalting themselves. That's pride, only by pride comes contention. And it says in verse three, now the man Moses was very meek above all the men, which are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, come ye, come out ye three into the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out and the Lord came down in a pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came out and he said, hear now my words, if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak unto him a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. With him I will speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam and behold, she was leprous. Now in the New Testament, praise God for the new covenant. God's not going to strike you with leprosy. God's wrath against our sin has been placed upon Jesus, but... There STILL ARE THINGS THAT ARE RIGHT AND WRONG. AND EVEN IF GOD DOESN'T BRING HIS JUDGMENT UPON YOU, EVERY TIME YOU LIVE, OPERATE IN PRIDE AND COME AGAINST GOD LIKE THIS, YOU ARE COOPERATING WITH THE DEVIL. JOHN CHAPTER 10, VERSE 10 SAYS, HE ONLY COMES TO STEAL, KILL, AND TO DESTROY. YOU ARE GIVING SATAN AN INROAD INTO YOUR LIFE. And I can guarantee you, if you get into pride and do something similar to this, which there's a del- million different ways of manifesting this, you, this is how Satan gains access to your life is through pride. It's like the, pride is the beachhead. You know when they attacked during the Second World War they had to establish a beachhead on the Normandy beaches they couldn't fight and and sustain a battle out there just in the ocean they had to have a beachhead they had to start putting equipment on shore they had to land and establish a beachhead it's the landing zone Pride is how Satan gains access to you. That was his sin. That's what he came against Adam and Eve with was that God is keeping things from you. There is more for you. It was all about them. They needed more. And right here, it was uh, Miriam and Aaron's Uh, pride that caused them to come against Moses. And here's the reason I wanted to read this passage in verse three, it says in parentheses, now Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. We don't know how many people were on the earth at this time, but there was around 3 million Jews that came out of Egypt and they were the minority. So if there was 3 million Jews, there had to be more than 3 million Egyptians. There was all the people who lived in the land of Canaan and all of the other places on the earth. We don't know how many people there were, but there's probably well over 10 million people on the earth. And it says Moses was the meekest man above all that were upon the face of the earth. That is one huge statement. And what makes that even greater to me is that Moses is the one who wrote that. (laughs) Did you know most of us define pride as, you know, arrogance, exalting yourself, but I believe in its simplest terms, pride is just self-centeredness, self-dependency. A person who doesn't wait on God and is quick to just do things and they wait until they make a mess of it and everything falls apart and they're in trouble and then they run to the Lord. No, God help me out. You know what that is? That's a proud person. In contrast to this over in the 30, I think it's the 34th chapter of the book of Exodus that Moses was begging the Lord to show him his glory. And he asked a number of times and finally the Lord said, I will be with you and I will go with you. And Moses' response to this, he says, Lord, if you go not with us, we aren't moving from this place. In other words, the way that we would say that today, he was saying, God, show me your glory. And God says, well, I'll be with you. And Moses was saying, well, I was taking that for granted. If you aren't going with me, I'm not moving boy, that's a humble attitude. A person who recognizes that in ourselves, we aren't sufficient for the task that we need the supernatural power of God. But see, arrogance or arrogance is just one manifestation of this, but pride, I believe is just self-centeredness, self-sufficiency to where you use God as an afterthought. You do things your own way. You lean under your own understanding. What that is, is pride. And this is how Satan gains access to us. This was Satan's original sin. It was Adam and Eve's original sin. And it's the thing that every one of us deals with is this self dependency, self-centeredness where you're just focused on yourself continually. And I'm telling you, this is how Satan gains access to you. I'll probably deal with this on maybe Saturday. I don't know, sometime later in this series, but did you know that grace... IS IT TAKES HUMILITY TO OPERATE IN GRACE. PRIDE IS ALWAYS LINKED TO A PERSON WHO IS PERFORMANCE ORIENTED AND TRYING TO EARN AND THINKING THAT SOME, THERE IS SOMETHING THEY CAN DO THAT MAKES THEM WORTHY AND OBLIGATES GOD TO MOVE IN THEIR LIFE. BUT WHEN YOU GET A REAL REVELATION OF GRACE, IT IS HUMILITY. MATTER OF FACT, IT SAYS THAT VERY CLEARLY IN ROMANS CHAPTER 3, WHERE IS BOASTING THEN, IT IS EXCLUDED by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. It is faith and grace that makes you humble before God. And so anyway, I look, I liken it to like a stick. If you had a stick, there's two opposite ends to this stick. And this pride, we look at this manifestation of arrogance over there and we think that that's pride. But did you know that the opposite extreme, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, inferiority minded. Did you know that that is the exact same thing? That's pride. It is self-centeredness. And I can say this with conviction because I was a very introverted person, uh, probably multiple reasons for it. But one of the biggest reasons is religion. Man, I just had religion beat me up. I was born again when I was eight, but then I became a religious Pharisee And anyway, I just was introverted. I couldn't look at a person in the face. I couldn't do these things. And most people would think, well, that's not pride. It was a super pride. If you define pride as self-centeredness, I can tell you that the reason I couldn't look at a person and the reason I couldn't talk to them, the reason I couldn't remember their name was because I was just thinking constantly about me. I was thinking, what am I gonna say? Am I gonna say something stupid? Well, I make a mistake? It was all selfish. It was all thinking about me. What that is, is pride. I would meet people and not even remember that I'd even met them because I was thinking so much about me. Some of you listening right now are relating to what I'm saying. You know, there are some of you that God has done a miracle for you. You've either been miraculously saved from a terrible lifestyle. You've been healed You've been delivered, your marriage has been put together, you've had God provide finances or something. You have a testimony, and there are people here tonight that could benefit from what you have to say. But if I was to ask you to come up here and ask you to share in front of 700 men, there are many of you that would just freeze. Why? Because you don't believe? That God exists. You don't believe that he's done something for you. No, but it's, you would be thinking about what are they going to think about me? And I'm not prepared. You would be afraid. You would be thinking about yourself. You know, when I first started ministering, I had a man come to me and for the first two years that I ministered, it was pitiful. Some of you think it's still pitiful, but it's less pitiful than it used to be. Amen. (laughs) And I would struggle because I was just so introverted. I was fearful to stand in front of people. And I got up and ministered one time and a guy came up to me and he says, you know, you have some good things to share. And he says, if you ever got to where you were more interested in the people you're ministering to than you were about yourself and what they thought about you, you could be a blessing. And man, that was like a dagger into my heart. And it was true. And God just opened up my eyes and let me see that the thing that was hindering me, it wasn't that I didn't have the word. It wasn't that God hadn't called me. It wasn't that I didn't have a revelation, but my fear of what people thought about me was pride. It's self-centeredness. You know, if you're the type of person that gets easily offended, that people can slight you, they can ignore you, they don't give you the recognition that you need, and because of it, you pout and you get hurt. You know what that is? It's pride. You're thinking about yourself. You know, the scripture teaches that we're supposed to be dead to ourselves, that we are supposed to die to ourselves. We are crucified with Christ. If you took a corpse and if we had a corpse laying here in front of us tonight, you know, if they were dead, if it was a corpse, you could slight the corpse. You could ignore the corpse. You could insult the corpse. You could spit on the corpse. And if it's a corpse, it's not going to respond. You know why we are so hurt? Why we respond? Why all of these things happen? Because we aren't dead to ourselves, because we are still The children of Adam and Eve who thought that, you know, God is holding something back. I've got to make my own way. I've got to do it myself. And so we exalt our own opinion. We go out and only depend upon God when our way fails. We use God as a last resort instead of a first resort. And again, you might, you might use other terms to try and express that, but what the scripture is calling that is pride. It's just self-sufficiency. And you can either have arrogance to where you think you are so awesome that you don't need God like everybody else does, or you could be over here feeling so bad, but you're still focused on yourself and all of that. It's the same stick. It's just two totally opposite ends of it. Look over here in Jeremiah chapter 10. This is a powerful verse that man I use a lot. God has really spoken this to me. But in Jeremiah chapter 10 if you were to read the chap this uh, 10th chapter of Jeremiah he's talking about that because of their sins God was going to bring judgment upon them and he was talking about nations coming in conquering them, taking their women and children captives. And it was just terrible, terrible things. And then he begins to say, how could this happen to the people who were once the apple of God's eye? How could they come from such a lofty position that God had blessed them to where they were now being ruled over and oppressed by others? And then he answers his own question in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. And he says, Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh. To direct his steps. Boy, that is one powerful scripture. Probably most of you don't have this underlined in your Bible. This is probably not a scripture that you've written and put on your mirror, but you should. This is a powerful, powerful scripture that just does a tremendous amount of damage to pride. Most of us again feel like, man, we can make our own way. You know, you and Frank Sinatra, you did it your way wonder how he feels about that now. You know what? That is not the way to live. Muhammad Ali, I am the greatest. Man, that's pitiful. And yet that is so promoted today. You hear uh, movie stars, you know, just talking about how that they are so awesome and all this stuff. You see, um, athletes, that are just being paid these exorbitant amount of money. They feel like they're somehow or another special because they can kick a ball or throw a ball or do something like that. It's just stupid. It's stupid, the things that we honor. Did you know when you get to where you go to honoring God, this is a great statement. You need to listen to this. When you get to where you honor God, and you are exalting him and not yourself. The more you exalt God, the less you will exalt people. Now, again, that's not saying that you don't love people. That's not saying that you don't try and be used by God to be a tool to touch people. But I guarantee you, when you spend time with almighty God and the more you worship him and honor him, the less you exalt people and the people that are, culture today glorifies and puts on the magazine covers you could take nearly every magazine cover of every magazine on the stands this week and if you were to pool all of their integrity it wouldn't be enough to fill a thimble <laughs> they are some of the most ungodly uh shallow people in society And those are the people that we glorify and honor. And it's because people aren't honoring God. The less you honor God, the more you honor people. The more you honor God, the less you honor people. You know, I was at a meeting in uh, Johnson city, Tennessee back in September, and I was with the pastor and his wife. And there was this man that came up and he was just going way overboard. Oh, no, I can't believe I'm shaking your hand. He nearly got down and kissed my boots. And he was just talking about all of this stuff. And, and anyway, I forgot exactly how I said it, but you know, I said, you need to spend more time with God. And he just looked at me like, what do you mean? I said, you know what? If you had a really good relationship with God, you wouldn't be near as impressed with me people that are really overwhelmed by a person and you just, you know, are hyperventilating because you've, you're next to this person. You don't, you don't spend a lot of time with God. Amen or oh me. Man, that is a powerful statement. And this is saying that it is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. God gave us the freedom of choice. You can choose. God does not force you to do things his way. But the only good choice is to recognize that, you know what? I am not qualified. I am not smart enough to run my life. God, I need you. I need your direction. The only good choice is to recognize that you aren't capable of running your own life. And YOU KNOW, I'M SPEAKING TO ALL KINDS OF DIFFERENT PEOPLE IN HERE. I LOVE ALL OF YOU. I'M SAYING THESE THINGS BECAUSE THIS HAS HELPED ME. I'VE SEEN IT HELP OTHER PEOPLE. I BELIEVE IT'LL HELP YOU. I'M NOT HERE TRYING TO DUMP ON ANYBODY, BUT I CAN GUARANTEE YOU THERE ARE A LOT OF MEN SITTING RIGHT HERE IN THIS ROOM RIGHT NOW THAT YOUR PROBLEMS, YOU'RE THINKING IT'S THAT WIFE. YOU'RE THINKING IT'S YOUR JOB, YOUR BOSS, IF they JUST TREAT YOU BETTER. YOU'RE THINKING, YOU'RE POINTING TO EVERYTHING ELSE. And yet it's you that you should be pointing at. It's because you have done things your own way. I can promise you if you're suffering, it's, it's because of you. Other people may be a factor. They MAY HAVE COME AGAINST YOU, BUT MAN, THE LORD HAS GIVEN US PROMISE AFTER PROMISE AFTER PROMISE THAT WHEN WE TRUST IN HIM, WHEN WE DWELL UNDER THE SHADOW OF THE ALMIGHTY, THAT HE WILL DELIVER US, THAT A THOUSAND WILL FALL AT OUR SIDE AND 10,000 AT OUR RIGHT HAND, BUT IT WON'T COME nigh US. ONLY WITH YOUR EYES WILL YOU SEE AND BEHOLD THE REWARD OF THE WICKED. I'M NOT SAYING THAT WE LIVE IN A PERFECT WORLD. THERE ARE PROBLEMS. I HAVE THINGS COME AGAINST ME, BUT YOU KNOW WHAT? THEY HAVEN'T BEAT ME. THEY HAVEN'T WON. Because I'm depending upon God. I'm not doing it perfectly, but I'm doing it and I'm learning and getting stronger in it. And I'm telling you that if your life isn't working, it's not because of what somebody else has done or hasn't done, it's because of you. It's not what happens to you that makes you bitter, it's the way you process it that makes you bitter or better. YOU COULD TAKE PEOPLE THAT WERE RAISED IN THE EXACT SAME ECONOMIC SITUATION, THE SAME RACE, THE SAME HOME SITUATION, AND YOU CAN TAKE ALL OF THESE THINGS AND SOME PEOPLE WILL BE CONTROLLED BY THESE THINGS AND LET THEM DOMINATE THEM. OTHER PEOPLE WILL BREAK OUT OF THOSE THINGS AND BECOME TREMENDOUSLY SUCCESSFUL AND PROSPER. YOU CAN TAKE PEOPLE FROM THE EXACT SAME GENE POOL IN THE SAME FAMILY, SIBLINGS RAISED IN THE SAME ENVIRONMENT say for instance, raised in an alcoholic family and one will become an alcoholic and say, well, I was raised this way. It was my environment. This is the way I was taught. The sibling that was raised in the exact same environment will go the other direction and refuse to ever touch a drink. It is not your environment. It's not your genes that make you the way that you are. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 says, behold, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that you and your seed may live. God said he gave you the choice. Yes, we have outside influences. Yes, uh, some people have had it worse than others, but ultimately you have the choice. It is not anybody else who has made you the way you are. It is you responding to things that has made you the way that you are. And I'm telling you, self-dependency, self-centeredness is the inroad of Satan. If you depend upon yourself and try and do things on your own, you are just a a mess waiting to happen. Thank you for that one. That's right. (laughs) You know, when I first started ministering, I, I didn't enjoy it at the time, but looking back, it was really a good thing in my life. But when I was in Childress, Texas, I didn't have anybody coming to church. I couldn't draw a crowd. And so, uh, anyway, we started going into prisons and going into nursing homes and ministering to them. And we would go in two or three times a week. I needed to minister to somebody and they were a captive audience. <laughs> Amen. So anyway, I'd go in and minister to them. And in these nursing homes, there were people in there that uh, at one time were the movers and the shakers. I would sit down and talk to them. And I remember this one lady in particular, she was a Methodist pastor's wife. And at one time she had been the the, uh, focal point of the whole church. She was the first lady of the church. Everybody loved her. She was so important. And yet now she was in her eighties. It had been years since a single person had ever come to see her. She sat there and cried all day long. And you know, she was still a pretty woman. She still always had her hair made up and dressed nice and stuff like this, but it was pathetic. And I remember looking at her and thinking that, you know what, even though she was admired by people. She was a pretty woman. She had all of these people in her church that admired her and looked to her for leadership and stuff like that. That's where she got her self-esteem from was her position and the people that responded to her. And now that those things were gone, this woman was devastated. She didn't have a relationship with the Lord. I'm not even sure she was born again. I mean, I talked to her a lot and There was just no relationship with the Lord. I would tell her about how, you know, the promises of heaven and about all these things. And none of that stuff moved her. She was just longing for the days again, when people could think that she was somebody that was significant and somebody that was important. And I learned through that that you know what? You may be at the top of your game right now and you may think things are going good, but I can guarantee you if the Lord tarries, there is coming a time that every last one of us are gonna lose your vitality. Praise God for this brother. It was 86, man, he's doing great. You know, jumping up here on the platform. But I guarantee if he keeps living, there will come a time. He won't be able to jump up on this platform. Amen. Moses was 120 years old. His natural force wasn't abated or his eyesight dim. That's what I'm believing for strength. But you know what? You still just aren't going to be at the top of your game sooner or later. And if you are depending upon yourself, you might last longer than somebody else. You might go into your seventies, eighties, nineties, or whatever, but there is coming a time that you won't have the same resources, the same ability, the same opportunities. And if it was all about you, you will crash and burn. But the person who's depending upon the Lord, you know what, in, in weakness, his strength is made strong. I was with Oral Roberts just a couple of months before he died, went into his home and he was using a walker to get around. Billy Graham had sent him a walker. It was a nice walker. It was a Cadillac of the walkers. He was bragging about it. And you know what? He was getting around. His mind was still sharp. He prayed for us. He ministered to us. It was good. And I thought, man, that is a great way to go out. This man is, he's had about 20 something ministers in his home. He was ministering to people just a couple of months before he died and he was still imparting and releasing things. And I tell you, he had an impact on me. Matter of fact, the very thing that I prayed for, he asked what I wanted prayer for. And I said, I see a lot of miracles, but I said, I'd like to see a greater manifestation of the healing power of God. And I said, I'd like you to lay your hands on me that I could see uh, miracles. He says, I can't do it. And I said, why not? He says, cause you're a pastor. I said, I'm not a pastor. I travel in ministry. He says, oh, well then I can pray for you. <laughs> I hadn't got time to explain that, but there's some logic behind that. And so anyway, he prayed for me. And did you know uh, Daniel pointed this out to me later that it was right after that, that we started our healing school. And now we are seeing awesome miracles. Matter of fact, we had a healing is here conference in August of this last year. And we saw over a thousand people healed. I mean, miraculously healed. Immediately the thing was over. Their problems were over with in what? Three days? A thousand people in three days. I've been in Catherine Kuhlman's meetings and Benny Hinn's meetings. I've never seen that many people healed anywhere. And you know what? I believe that that was this healing school and what Ashley and Daniel And others are doing, I believe that that is a partial fulfillment of that. We're seeing things happen. So what I'm saying is here was uh, Oral Roberts because he was God dependent because he hadn't done things just in his own self. He was still believing in God. He was still fruitful and productive. There's a scripture I'd have to look it up, but it says that even in your old age, you'll still be fruitful. And stuff. And you know what? Those who trust in the Lord, if your strength is in the Lord, he's the same yesterday, today and forever, it'll never change. But if your strength is in yourself and in your own wisdom, if you're leaning under your own wisdom, according to this verse, you were not made to direct your own steps. The way of a man is not in himself. You need somebody smarter than you helping you. And that's offensive to some people. You're the very person that needs to hear this. Some of you have heard me say this, but my mother, she died in 1999. She was 96, or not 99, 2009. And she was uh, 96. And right before she died, she was asking me to tell her again about the things that the Lord was doing. She worked in our ministry for, I think, 18 years or something like that. And she saw us grow. And she was just so blessed by everything. So I was telling her, about the opportunities and the people and some of the testimonies. And she was really blessed by it. But I mean, here she was, this little frail lady. She was really thin right before she died. And she stuck her little bony finger right in my face. And she said, Andy, you know, that's God. And I said, yes, ma'am. I know that's God. And then she says, you aren't smart enough to do this. <laughs> and I, I said, you're right. I'm not smart enough to do it. You know, your mother, boy, she can just put you in your place, (laughs) but it was absolutely true. And the truth is brothers that none of us are smart enough. According to this verse, it is not in man that walks to direct his steps. God has given you the choice. You have the freedom to try, but I'm telling you, you will not succeed if you do things your way. There is a way that, seems. I think this is Psalms 37. There is a way that seems right unto men, but the end thereof are the ways of death. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We in our natural self do not think godly. And I tell you, one of the things that has totally corrupted us is this pride. It's all about us. It's all about self. It's all about what is happening to me. I tell you, there is so much freedom in getting to where you have something bigger than yourself to live for. Man, that's huge. If you are all wrapped up in yourself, you make a very small package. And brothers, I'm telling you that this is where a lot of people are. And I really felt impressed to the Lord to minister on this this weekend. And I think God had me share it for the people who are here, not for the ones who aren't here. Some of you are probably thinking, oh man, I know somebody that needs this. <laughs> I believe the people that are sitting right here need this. I've had people come up to me before and say, man, that was for me. And I said, if you're breathing, it's for you, hey, amen. All of us have a self. And it's all a fallen self. It has been corrupted and polluted. Now you've got, you've been born again in your spirit, but that doesn't instantly change your personality. It doesn't instantly change the way that you were programmed. It takes the word of God to reprogram you and to get you realigned to where God and other people are more important than you. I have people come to me all the time and say things like God told me to do this, but AND THEN THEY WILL TELL ME ALL OF THESE OTHER THINGS. AND I JUST, I DO NOT RELATE TO THAT. IF YOU KNOW THAT GOD TOLD YOU TO DO SOMETHING, THEN WHO ARE YOU TO SIT HERE AND QUESTION AND DEBATE WHETHER YOU'RE GOING TO DO IT? I CAN'T EVEN RELATE TO THAT. AND YET, I WOULD SAY THAT THAT'S PROBABLY TYPICAL OF THE AVERAGE PERSON, THE AVERAGE PERSON It's still them sitting on the throne and they want what their plans are to honor God, but they don't want to just, you know, totally sign the thing over and give God absolute control of their life. And that's pride. That's self-dependency. That's focused on yourself. That's exalting your opinion above God's opinion. I tell you, if you truly come to grips with this, and die to yourself and turn your life over to God, you can reach a place to where it just doesn't matter whatever God says. You know, I was at Kenneth Copeland's uh, ministers conference in January, um, 2014 and Happy Caldwell gave the very first message and he set the tone for the whole thing. And matter of fact, the next speaker, Rick Renner changed his whole message and basically re-preached Happy sermons from his standpoint and it affected everybody. And what Happy was doing was talking about, uh, that he's pastored for how many years, Happy? 35 35 years, built a great church, has awesome facilities and all of these things. And the Lord dealt with Happy that it was time for him to move into another phase of ministry. And he took his church and turned it over to somebody else. All of the assets, I don't know how much it is, but it's millions and millions of dollars worth of assets. And he walked away from something that he's been doing for 35 years, his baby. And he just turned it over to somebody else and is in a brand new phase of ministry and he was challenging the ministers to not just wait until you know they had run the course and they were out of juice and out of steam, but turn it over when they're still at the top of their game and let the body of Christ and the church continue to prosper. And I tell you, it was powerful, but as he was doing this, uh, he talked about the Lord speaking to him about laying down that church and turning it over. And I can't remember if happy said this or if it was the Lord talking directly to me, I don't remember which, but as I was listening to happy, the Lord just said, would you be willing to walk away from everything that I've given you—you you know this television ministry that we've got, 3.2 billion people that can watch my program. Man, it has taken me a lifetime to to get to this place to where I'm impacting people. We're beginning to build this campus. We're doing things all over the world, and I could spend a lot of time. God is—we're just seeing things happen that I've been praying for for decades and things are working. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me, would you be willing to walk away? And I, I mean, it didn't take me more than a minute. Absolutely. If I knew that God wanted somebody else to take over this ministry, to run Karis Bible college, to have the television, I could walk away from it in a second. And I really mean that. I know some of you think, well, I'm not sure, you know, it preaches easier than it lives. But I'm just telling you that that is a proud, arrogant position that you could hear God tell you something and then you're going to debate whether or not you do it. I just can't relate to that. I honestly, I could be happy if the Lord wanted me to go to Africa and live in a hut. I've been over there in people's huts and I just loved it. I don't feel like that's what God's telling me to do. And I'm going to follow God, but I'm saying that I could do it. I could do what, if I knew that I was in the center of God's will, I could walk away from everything that God's given me. If you can't do that, that is a proud, arrogant, self-centered position. I'm not saying that to condemn you, but I'm just saying that you are putting yourself, your own thoughts, you're holding things instead of holding the Lord and putting him first. And that is not the way that God made us to be. Look over here in Proverbs chapter 10. I referred to this earlier, but to me, this was just one of the great scriptures that the Lord used to really get this across to me. Excuse me, it's Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. Proverbs 13, 10, it says, only By pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Hold your finger there, I'll come right back to it, but Proverbs chapter 17, verse 14 says, the beginning of strife is as when one letteth out water, therefore leave off contention before it be meddled with. And so it's saying here in Proverbs 17, 14, that the beginning of strife is contention, so put that back in Proverbs 13:10. only by pride cometh contention or only by pride is how uh, strife gets started. That's the only way. It didn't say that this was a leading cause. It didn't say for type A personalities. It didn't, it has no qualifications on it. This is a radical statement that the only thing that causes contention, the beginning of strife is pride. And some people think, well, I just don't relate to that. It's what this person did to me. No, it's what's inside of you that makes you so upset by what they did to you. It's your self-focus. It's the fact that you have to have your way. It's the fact that you've always got to be the one that comes out on top if you're jealous of other people because they're the ones that got raised and you're the one that did all of the work and you should have been the one that was promoted. And if that bothers you, again, it's because of your focus on self. You know, Paul Milligan, he's not here tonight, I don't think. I hadn't seen him, but he's our COO of our ministry. And Paul Milligan uh, told me a story about when he was just really getting started in business. He was working for a large corporation and he had all of these awesome ideas and came up with this and he would share them with his immediate supervisor. And then his supervisor would present this to his bosses as his idea. And he was stealing Paul's ideas. And because of it, he was making millions off of it. He was being rewarded with all of these incentives. How would most of you responded to that? I can guarantee you most of us would have been bitter, would have been angry, would have been hurt. There would have been strife. Why? Because I'm not receiving the recognition. I'm not receiving the credit. But did you know Paul just decided that this is where God had him at that time. There was no way to really deal with the thing effectively. And so he just decided, he says, I am going to make this boss of mine a success. I'm going to come up with so many ideas and I don't care if he takes credit for it. He just determined that he was going to continue to function and, and, uh, be innovative and come up with these things. And after a number of years, this went on for a few years, finally, the, the big boss called him in and asked him, he says, are you the one that came up with this idea and this idea and this idea? And Paul said, yes. And he says, you know, we've been promoting this guy that was over you, but as we got closer to him, we realized he wasn't capable of making these decisions that he was making. And we got to looking and he says, we thought that you are the one that was probably coming up with this. And he said, well, yeah, I was. And they promoted him and he became his boss's boss. And anyway, he left there, started his own business. But you know, the things that he learned, God promoted him. You know, there's scriptures in Ephesians chapter five that talks about that you servants be, uh, serve your masters. This is talking about slaves serving masters. And it says not only to the good and gentle, but also to the frower. That's talking about those who lie and manipulate and are hard to work with. And it says you're supposed to serve them knowing that all of us serve the Lord Jesus Christ and he will reward you. See, if, if it wasn't about us, If it wasn't about me getting my way and getting my recognition and the whole thing was, Father, I just want to glorify you. God is going to reward you. Usually it'll happen in this life, but if nothing else, I guarantee you there will be a day that we stand before God and God will reward you and there's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. And if we weren't so focused on ourselves and wanting recognition and wanting all of these things, it wouldn't matter if people pass over you or not. Amen or O oh me. Amen. I know some of this is subtle and some of us, you know, you don't hear many sermons like this. And so because of it, you don't hear these attitudes countered. And so therefore just by virtue of the fact that nobody is preaching against it. Most of us have embraced this and don't even realize how deadly it is. But I'm telling you that that pride was Satan's original sin. It's how he got Adam and Eve to sin. It's how he comes against you and all of your misery, all of your hurt, all of your complaint is because self is so important to you. If you didn't care so much about yourself, you wouldn't be near as upset. And you can literally get to where you love God and you love other people more than you love yourself. Amen. So only by pride comes contention. You know, people rub you the wrong way. And the only reason that that makes you angry is because you are hurt because they criticized you because they've done this to you. They didn't give you the recognition. It all revolves again around self. I've had people come to me. I remember this woman that came to me and was telling me about what her husband said about her. And I said, why does that bother you so much? And she just looked at me, well, he's my husband and I've got to have his approval and we're supposed to be in agreement. And I said, look, that's the way it should be. I said, I admit, I don't encourage disunity and stuff, but I said, why is it that you, you are codependent upon his approval? I said, God should be enough. Instead of us getting married because this person is going to make me complete. Instead, we should have the attitude of God, this is the person that you led me to and I want to spend the rest of my life serving them and ministering to them. It's not about how they minister to you. It's about how you minister to them. In Ephesians chapter five, it says that husbands are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He didn't come to just get from us. I guarantee you, Jesus came and gave more than he's ever gotten back. He's had millions and millions, billions of people over the last 2000 years who've been born again. But you know what? No, none of us have ever served him the way that he served us. He gave the last ounce. He gave the last measure. He laid his life down. And the average, I don't think any of us fully appreciate what he did. I spent a lot of time thinking about this and I don't even know how to verbalize it, but we don't realize how bad we were. We don't realize how terrible hell is going to be for eternity. We don't realize what we were saved from. And yet he made this huge sacrifice fully knowing that the people he was going to die for wouldn't even fully appreciate what he had done. There are many of us that go through days, weeks, without even talking to him, without even expressing thanks. And after all he's done for us, man, we're upset because we don't have our fifth flat screen TV because I'm not driving a brand new car because I don't have this or that. I tell you, if I was God, I'd just drop kick the human race right out into space, amen, and say, man, you aren't worth it none of us have returned to the Lord what he deserves. And yet he made this huge sacrifice for us. That's the way that Christ loved the church. And he has never been fully appreciated. He has never been fully thanked. He has never had people just serve him with everything they've got. Every one of us at our best still falls short. And if that's the way we're supposed to love our wife, then that means whether that woman ever loves us, appreciates us or whatever, we're supposed to still love them and lay our life down. You know, when I was over in England, I remember going to John Wesley's home in London and they've made a museum out of this. And I went through there and I was reading all of these things and it showed this little spot where John Wesley used to kneel and pray. And it had this story about his wife. He felt obligated to get married because you couldn't be a minister if you weren't married in the Anglican church that he was coming out on stuff. So he felt obligated. He went and got this lady and proposed to her and married her. And it was a bad choice. And this woman was a witch and did terrible things to him. And it talked about that as he would pray every morning, his wife would come in and hit him and kick him and insult him for 20, 30 years this man was totally rejected. It was a terrible relationship and he just went out and changed the world and kept doing what God called him to do. Am I saying that that's the way it's supposed to be? No, but I am saying that, you know what? We are the one who has made it so that I can't exist without this person's acceptance. I can't be happy if I don't have this. And it's because we have exalted ourselves and put our focus on all of these other things besides the Lord. You can get to a place to where serving God is what it's all about. It's not about you. It's not whether you get the recognition and the praise. And when you do that, it just makes you immune to so much of what Satan is trying to do. I'm telling you, this is Satan's inroad into your life. And when you get to where you don't care who gets the glory, you just want to get accomplished what God wants you to do well, man, that's awesome. You know, I've talked to a number of people that come to our Bible college. And again, I hope this isn't a prideful self-centered thing I'm saying, (laughs) but I'm still in process. So if it is just God's working on me. But anyway, I've asked other people who've been to other Bible colleges and stuff, and they just are so thrilled with what's going on. I said, so what's the difference and you know, I've had many, not just one or two, I've had many, many people say that one of the main differences that blesses them so much about Karis Bible College is that nobody here is promoting themselves over the other person. All of our instructors respect each other. We honor each other. I see this in Daniel in the praise and worship group man, it's not Daniel that's trying to get all of the glory and stuff. We've got a dozen people in this choir that lead praise and worship on different times and man, they aren't trying to hog the spotlight. Matter of fact, this CD that we gave out, one of the criticisms I had for Daniel was, I said, Daniel, it's wonderful that you let these other people sing and do things, but you are a better talent than most of the people that sang on that thing. And I said, next time you need to sing more than one or two songs. And uh, he's not promoting himself, he's not out here. We're just trying to minister the word. And there, there is literally no competition. I think that's great. I've often said that, man, uh, when Barry Bennett came into the school, I'd walk through production and people would say, you used to be my favorite teacher. Now, Barry Bennett's my favorite teacher. <laughs> And then Greg came, and they said, Now Greg's my favorite teacher, and now Happy's my favorite teacher. And you know what? I just think that's awesome. I am not everything to the whole body of Christ, I'm only a part of God's in, in expression. If this whole school was limited to me, if I was all there was to this school, it wouldn't be near as good as it is. But we've got people here that are not in competition. I could, you know, go to any person in this school and they could do it to me. And if God's gave them a word and says, man, I've got something from God. Could I take over your class? Have at it. Amen. We're here to get the job done, to minister to people. It's not about us. It's not about the individuals. And you know, that's where the Lord says he commands his blessing. When brethren dwell together in unity. What is it that keeps strife out? Well, if pride is the only way that strife comes, well, then humility on the other hand is the very thing that keeps strife out. And I'm telling you, this is just the antidote for things. The only thing that is making us angry is not what people do to us. It's what's on the inside of us, primarily pride, self-centeredness that makes us so vulnerable to all of the hurt and the criticism, the envy, the jealousy, unforgiveness, and all of this stuff comes, the root of it is pride. You can go clean out the cobwebs and every time you—you you know, somebody does something wrong, you can sit there and stew in your juice for months and after months or years, finally humble yourself and go ask their forgiveness and deal with it. Or you could just find the spider that's causing all of these things and kill it. And I'm telling you that the spider that's causing all of this is our own self-love, self-exaltation, promotion of self. And when you get to where you love God more than you love yourself, you'll find out it just, it makes life so simple. It takes away all of the hurt and pain. Again, I do not want to present. That I have mastered this. I don't think anybody ever just totally gets to where you're pure Holy Ghost. Not until we go to be with Jesus. There was this guy, I won't mention his name, but he was really popular in the eighties and he had a teaching on suke, which is the Greek word for soul. And he would talk about the soul and the spirit and talk about that the soul is the problem. And then he had this expression, called suke souffle, where, you know, you're just serving up your flesh and all of these things. And he was saying some of the same things I was talking about now, but I remember listening to one of his teachings and he said, I remember and he gave some date and he said, I died to myself and I have never had a selfish thought in the last 15, 20 years or whatever. And you know what? The moment I heard that I just wrote Ichabod over this guy. and decided that there's no point in me listening to him anymore. And it turned out he only lasted about a year or two, and then he was gone and nobody's heard of him. If I to mention his name today, most of you had never heard of him and stuff. He didn't last. I tell you, anybody who thinks that you just got it all whipped and that you overcome it, you are a very proud, self-centered person. I've had people come up after I minister on this and said, would you please cast the flesh out of me? I said, I can't cast the flesh out of you. I said, the only way I can get that flesh out of you is to kill you. And then you will be perfect. But as long as you're in this body, you're going to have flesh and you're going to have to deal with self and self-centeredness because you know you better than you know anybody else. You don't know what's going on with me, but you know what's going on with you 24 hours a day. And it's just normal. It's just natural for you to be focused on yourself and your situation. But I'm telling you that that is not the way to live. You need to take these things that we're talking about and recognize that you need to humble yourself. You need to cast your care about things over on the Lord. You need to let God be the one who gives you direction instead of leaning under your own understanding. It's not normal, but it is a superior way to live and it takes effort. And it's like flying in an airplane. Gravity is still functioning, but that law of thrust and lift allows you to fly. But the moment you turn off that power, you are going to sink. The moment you quit depending upon God and humbling yourself before God and acknowledging that you need him every hour and that you need his wisdom and direction. And the moment you get back into yourself and depending upon yourself, I guarantee you, you're going to start sinking. That self is still there. Pride is still there. You can't just get rid of it. You have to constantly deny it and humble yourself and go contrary to what it's saying. Again, this verse Proverbs 13:10 says only by pride comes contention. And you know if if what people do, do do to you makes you angry, it's because of what's going on on the inside of you because you're thinking about yourself. If you thought about the other person more than you thought about yourself, you can't get angry. So again, I want to say, I'm not trying to present to you that I've got this all worked out. I hadn't arrived, but I have left. And I'm telling you, I have seen this begin to work in my life. And I remember back when I was in Pritchett, Colorado, this was in 1978, and I was pastoring a church there. Uh, There was this guy, it was a small church, had about 10 people in it when I came. We saw a man raised from the dead, and and I was only there for six months. And in six months time, we had 100 people coming to church. This is in a town of 144 people. So it was, it was good percentage. And uh, anyway, we were seeing great things happen, but this one elder got mad at me and I went in and talked to me and he yelled at me and accused me of stealing money, which was a joke because I didn't even take a salary. I didn't touch any of the money, but he accused me of stealing money from the church. He accused me of uh, getting drunk doing alcohol. He accused me of sexual immorality. He just blasted me. He started going around saying all of these things. I don't know what happened to him. And he just was, he hated me. And he was one of the elders in the church and he just let me have it. And you know what? Again, I'm not always this way, but I'm getting this way more and more. But because I knew it wasn't true. I was able to just look past him and recognize, boy, the devil is speaking through him. Something has happened. Somebody poisoned him. And I was thinking about him more than I was thinking about myself. And I was able to just talk to him and minister to him. And I forgot it. And it never did affect me. And the next week, every time I drove by his business, I was in the habit of just going into his place and visiting with him. And so I, I stopped. Jamie was in the car and I said, do you want to go in with me? And she said, no way. (laughs) And so I went in to visit with him and I went in and talked to this guy for, I don't know, 10 minutes or so. And when I came back out of the car, I said, something's wrong with him. And she says, what do you mean? I said, he wasn't friendly like he normally is. I said, something's bothering him. He's upset with me or something. And she just looked at me And she says, don't you remember what he said? And she had to tell me that he had been lying and saying I committed adultery and stole money and got drunk and I had forgotten it because it wasn't true and it didn't matter. I'm telling you, not very many people and I don't always respond that way but that's because we're self-centered and thinking about this. But I was actually more concerned about him. And you know, by the grace of God, I was able to keep loving that guy. And I just got a letter last week. Uh, his wife has died and his daughter wrote me a letter and says, you are his favorite minister. He watches you every day and he's a partner with us and sends us money. And, and that's been, I don't know, that was in 78. So however long that's been, thirty six years, 37 years ago. And you know what? I was able to just keep loving him. I never have gotten mad at him. I never said a word to him. I don't even know if he remembers all this stuff. I had a person it's a national uh, minister. If I was to call their name, every person in here knows who I'm talking about. And they got on television and they told their church that I'm the slickest cult that they have ever seen, that I am like Jim Jones. And they made every person who had my tapes and books in their church burn them. They renounced me as a cult with my staff sitting right on the front row, called them out and said, he's a cult. And you know what? I never got mad at him. I never said a word to him. Matter of fact, I've ministered with him twice at conferences and I just loved them was kind to them. They got into a bind in their church and needed help. I sent them thousands of dollars and just kept blessing them. And you know what? Two or three years ago, we were on TBN together and they told me, says, oh, I watch your program every day. And I thought you do. (laughs) I never said anything. And then the next year we were on TBN again and they said, you know, we need to get together. And so we swapped phone numbers. And Jamie and I went and ate with them and visited with them. And they just love us and talk about how, uh, what a blessing we've been. And I invited them to the school. They ministered in the school last year. Uh, they're getting older, and I thought maybe they're senile and don't remember what they did. I don't know. But I'm saying that you do not have to just respond and stuff. That's the flesh, that's pride. And somebody said, but what, look what they said about you. Look what this person did to me. Who cares? Well, what about my reputation? Who cares about your reputation? See, again, this all revolves back around pride. Now there is a good kind of pride where you want to glorify the Lord and keep a good name and stuff like that. But I'm talking about this selfish thing where you just, everybody has to think good about you. You need to get over yourself. You know what? You are not the center of the universe. I know some of you are thinking, I came here to get helped. This isn't helping me. (laughs) It's like that cat. If you would repent, turn around, this would go to helping you. I'm telling you brothers that this is the root of Satan. This is his inroad into our life. And when you humble yourself, it just, it does Satan a, a death blow. He has, you know, Paul, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you turn over to Philippians chapter one, he was in prison and he was writing to the people who were his partners, Philippians one chapter five. He says, I thank God for your fellowship. That word is koinonia. It means partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He was thanking God for these people. They were his partners and they had heard that he was in prison. They were wondering how he was doing and he was trying to comfort them and tell them everything was going good. So here's how he did it. He says, don't worry because the things that have happened unto me have happened rather to the furtherance of the gospel so that the gospel is being preached in all of Caesar's household. Now, let me ask you, if you were in a bind, if you were in prison, And somebody wrote and says, oh, I heard that you're in prison. How are you doing? How many of you would respond and saying, oh, it's all well worth it because people are being born again. People are hearing the gospel. So, you know, me being in prison would be fine. See, most people, what's happening to you is more important than what's happening to the cause of Christ. And that's the very reason that we get hurt so much is because it's so important for us to succeed. Paul was saying that, man, I'm just doing fine because the gospel is being preached And then he went on to say, some are bolder to preach the gospel because they're seeing me and they're seeing that I'm still standing and it's encouraging them. And he says, others are mocking me, thinking that they're going to add affliction to my bonds. But he says, I don't care whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. That's a little hard to understand that passage, but I think here's what he's saying is that there's some people who were true believers that were being encouraged by him and they were being strong preaching the gospel. There were others They were mocking him and saying, have you heard what this crazy guy in prison is saying? That there was a guy named Jesus who died for our sins and then he rose from the dead and Paul claims that he's still alive. They were mocking him. They weren't sincere. They weren't in agreement. But Paul didn't care because whether they were ridiculing him or not, people were hearing about Jesus and the Holy Spirit could take that and use it. What a great attitude. And then he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, if I live, this is the fruit of my labor, being in prison. And if I die, I go to be with the Lord. I'd rather die and go be with the Lord. But because I know it's more needful for you, I know I'm going to stay here in the flesh because it's more needful for you. You know what? You can't get a guy like that defeated. Because man, you throw him in prison. He just goes to singing and praising God at midnight. God gets tapping his foot and earthquake comes, all of their bonds are set free and he leads everybody in the prison to the Lord. So you let him go free and he goes out and leads people to the Lord. And then they tell him to quit preaching the gospel. We're going to kill you. If you don't quit preaching the gospel. And he said, Oh man, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He just reaches up and kisses the one that's threatening to kill him. How do you defeat a person like that? You can't threaten him, you can't kill him, you can't do anything because he was already dead to himself. All he loved was the Lord. The Lord is going to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you're up and down like a yo yo, I'm saying this in love, it's because you are all about yourself. It's all about how your day is going, it's all about what people are doing for you, it's all about how you feel you get to where you love God more than you love yourself. And I guarantee you, he's going to be the same all of the time and you can be on a constant high. Again, I'm not perfect in this area, but since the Lord touched my life in 1968, it's been 47 years in March and I have never been, well, I can't say never. In the very beginning, when I was in Vietnam, I spent a, a number of months asking God to kill me because I just wanted to go be with him. But outside of that for probably 46 years, I haven't been depressed or defeated in 46 years. I have felt depression. I've had people do bad things. I've had terrible circumstances, but because of what God did in my life, I think about him. And if worse comes to worse, I die and go to be with the Lord forever in eternity. That's not bad. Amen. If I never get healed in this life, I'm going to live forever perfectly healed. If I never see my prosperity in this life, I'll live in a mansion on streets that are gold. And because I think that way and I'm more about what God is doing rather than what's being done to me, I just have not been depressed and discouraged. I don't believe in it. I don't believe you have to live that way. And I'm telling you, the thing that makes you up and down like a yo yo, depressed and angry and bitter because this person ignored you, because this one insulted you, because of all of this, it is your self love, your self focus that makes you so susceptible to that. And the antidote is to just love somebody else more than you love yourself. And that's God. If you would turn your life over and just commit yourself to Him and say, God, Forgive me for being the center of my universe. I guarantee you, it would just deal a blow to what Satan wants to do in your life. And let me say, I I know I need to quit. I'm going to quit here quickly. But let me say that this is a process. It's not just a one-time decision, but it starts with a decision. It's a process. I still have to deal with myself. You don't ever get over it. You still have to deal with yourself. And there's things that happen, but you know what you, it's a process, but it's got to start someplace. I, some of you have heard me use this illustration, but it's the best one I can think of, that I was talking to Jim Irwin, the guy who was the astronaut who walked on the moon. And I was in Vietnam when they walked on the moon. I missed out on all of that stuff and heard about it, but I never got to see it. And so I just have always been interested. And uh, when I got to meet him, I was on a television program with him. And when I was visiting with him, man, I was just pumping him, asking him all of these questions. And anyway, I was talking about all of the technology. Did you know that your cell phone now has more computing power than the entire Apollo spacecraft did? It is a miracle that they got there. And I was trying to describe it, man, you just must have had all this great technology and everything was just perfect. And he began to explain to me that they literally threw that capsule towards the moon and for four days or four and a half or whatever, they just headed towards the moon and they made a course correction every 10 minutes for four days. And he said, sometimes they were 90 degrees opposite the moon and they would have to burn for a long time to get back on track. Other times they'd be just a fraction off, but every 10 minutes they had a course correction. So instead of going just perfectly to the moon, they went to the moon like this. (laughs) And then I thought, boy, they just landed on this exact spot. He said they had a 500 mile target area that they were trying to land in. And when they landed the lunar module, he said, and they got out, he was within five feet of missing a 500 mile landing strip. They just barely landed where they wanted to. And as he was telling me all of this, I related it to what I was talking about, pride and stuff, that you know what? Some people think, all right, I'm going to deal with pride and never again am I going to be prideful. That's not the way that it works. You just make a decision and you, you ask God to help you. And then every 10 minutes for the rest of your life, you are going to have a course correction. And just because something happens and you realize, Oh no, I was getting prideful and thinking all about me. That doesn't mean that you didn't make a commitment. It just means it's time for you to make a course correction. You know, I had this miraculous encounter. I I know I'm going out of time, so I'll talk about this tomorrow, but I had this miraculous encounter where God just showed up. And I mean, uh, it did a a number on my pride and it made a huge difference in my life. And that was in 1968, but it was probably in the eighties or something after I'd been walking with the Lord a long time. And I, some of you, know who Bob Tilton is and he doesn't have a real good reputation right now. But back in the eighties, Bob Tilton was one of the most anointed guys. He was seeing things happen, big church and stuff. It's not exactly the same as what you see today if you ever see him on television. Anyway, I'd been on his television program and uh, had talked to him and I went and visited his church and there was like, I don't know, four or 5,000 people in this church. And I was sitting there and that was back when I was only on radio and I was sitting there thinking, God, I know I've ministered to a lot of these people on radio in the Dallas, Fort Worth area. I'd been on radio for probably 20 years. And I said, I know I've ministered to a lot of these people, but you know, you can't tell what a person looks like on radio. Nobody recognized me. And I said, I wonder if anybody knows who I am. And right about the time I was thinking that God got on my case and said, knows who you are. Who cares who you are? (laughs) And I got to realize, and I was getting back into pride and thinking about this nearly 20 years after God had really spoken to me. And I was just beginning to get the message and thinking, oh God, I'm sorry. Here's a course correction. And right as I was thinking that, Bob Tilton stood up and said, we want to recognize Andrew Woman. Had me stand up. And this was right when God was showing me how prideful I was. And I felt like, I felt, you know, like I was naked (laughs) standing from all of these people. And, and I just sure that everybody saw what a arrogant person I was and stuff. But anyway, my point in saying that is that here I was nearly 20 years later and you know what I was, I saw this selfishness and this self centeredness rising up again. Now, did that mean that I didn't make a commitment March the 23rd, 1968? No, I did. And I can show you lots of things in my life where I have gone contrary to just my selfish desires and my own things. God has been working on me, but I still have to deal with this. And so it's important that you understand it's a process because if you make a commitment and say, oh God, I'm gonna turn my life over to you and I want you to be Lord, I do not wanna be the center of my universe And if you make that commitment, I can guarantee you it's not gonna be very long until you'll see that old selfishness rise up again. And it doesn't mean that you didn't make a true commitment. It just means it's time for a course correction. If God was to show you everything in you that needs to change all at once, it would overwhelm you. Many of you would just run up a flag and quit thinking, man, I got so far to go. He'll just deal with you step by step by step But there does need to be a starting place. That capsule had to blast off. They couldn't make a course correction sitting on the launching pad. They had to start in that direction. They had to throw that thing towards the moon. You do have to make a decision. You do have to humble yourself and put God first. The Bible says, I believe it's 2 Timothy chapter 1, that He is faithful to keep that which we commit. No committing, no keeping. You have to make a commitment. And if tonight you've recognized that, you know what? It's not all of these other things that I've blamed. It's really me. And I need, to, I need to turn from exalting me. I need to humble myself and exalt the Lord. And I haven't really done that. I'd like to give you an opportunity this very first night to just make that decision. And again, it's a process but you need to get started. And if you have never intentionally on purpose, humbled yourself and say, God, I want you to be absolute Lord. There's people who get born again because they don't want to go to hell. And so they'll make Jesus their Lord so that they can receive salvation. But man, they have never bowed their knee and even desired to put God absolute first in their life. They just came and received the salvation but there really is no contest. If God asked them to do something that was contrary to what they want to do, they would sit there and debate it and they might or might not do it depending on how it works for them. You need to get beyond that and you need to humble yourself and put God first in your life. And if you'll do that, man, that's where the real joy, it, joy comes in serving the Lord, not trying to get God to serve you. Amen. So I just want to ask if that's you, and if you have never made this commitment, I want to give you an invitation to just make this decision and blast off and head in that direction. And let me qualify this. If you've already made this decision, even if you're off track, even if you need a course correction, but if you truly have made this decision and just haven't followed through on it the way you should, well, I'm not asking you to respond. I'm talking to people who have never really intentionally on purpose said that I want to be dead to myself. I want to put God first. I want him to be the Lord of my life and not myself. And if that's you, I just would like to give you an invitation right now to just stand right where you are and identify yourself. And I'm gonna pray for you. And we're gonna make this decision and head in that direction. If that's you, I want you to be bold enough just to stand right where you are. If you've already made this decision, even if you haven't followed through with it, be humble enough to stay seated. Don't worry about what people think. And I'm sure that there's somebody here thinking now, uh, let's have everybody bow their head and close their eyes so that that they won't see me. This is about humbling yourself. I want you to do this while everybody's head is up and their eyes are open so that you get the maximum humiliation out of this. Amen. <laughs> I would be defeating the purpose if I wanted to accommodate your flesh so that nobody would know that you're standing to say, I need to make this decision. Anybody else? I'm gonna pray this won't work if you're seated. You got to stand to get this prayer to work, praise God. You know, guys, if you've understood my invitation and if you're responding appropriately, this is a lot of people and no wonder, no wonder things hadn't gone any better because it's just not in man to direct his own steps. We need to humble ourselves. We need to become absolutely dependent upon God So that like Moses, we say, God, if you don't go with me, if I don't have your wisdom, I'm not moving. You need to become that God dependent. This will change your life. Praise God. Still got people coming up. I know that this is short notice for such an important decision. Some of you think, I probably want to go and think about this. No, you need to respond. If God is touching your heart, if you have a desire to respond, you need to do it right now while God is speaking to you or you'll tend to go back to exactly the way you were before. If you have the desire, if you say, I need to do that, but you're sitting there debating it, you just need to end the debate and just stand and humble yourself and receive it. Praise God. Father, for all of these people who are standing, we just thank you that you love us so much. Father, thank you that you've given us the freedom to run and direct our own lives. But thank you also for the revelation of all of these scriptures we've talked about that, Father, you didn't intend for us to run our own lives independent of you. Tonight, we just acknowledge that. We acknowledge, Father, that it's not all of these other things. It's not society. It's not our environment. It's not what people did to us. It's not the woman that you gave us. Father, it's what's inside of us that has caused our problems. And tonight we just humble ourselves. We put ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice and we ask for the fire of God to fall. And consume these sacrifices. Father, these men are saying that they are just making this commitment, this decision, that they want you to be dominant in their life. They do not want to be just serving themselves. Father, we can't do this on our own. All we can do is lay on the altar. We ask for your supernatural fire to fall and consume these sacrifices, to burn up this selfishness that. The world is just captivated by. And that, Father, we would get to where we love you and love people more than we love ourselves. That we would lay our life down and, like Paul, be glad to depart and to be with you, that you are more important than us. Your purpose for our life is more important than our life. Father, that's our desire, and we are expressing it, we are making a decision, and we believe that you are going to keep. That which we are committing to tonight. I believe that you are going to bring this back to our remembrance. January the 15th, 2015, that we made this commitment. And Father, thank you for holding us to it. Thank you for not letting us forget. Thank you that when we get back into the flesh and again start just exalting ourselves and promoting ourselves, that you would remind us of this commitment. And we, we welcome it and we thank you for doing it. We trust that, Father, you are going to help us to fulfill this and to walk in it. And we thank you that if you tarry, that we are going to see a difference in our life as we begin to live for you and others more than we live for ourselves. So we thank you for it and praise you in advance for the victory, the liberty that this is going to bring into our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Y'all agree with that? Praise the Lord. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.